0: This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash This episode is sponsored by DevMountain. Dev Mountain is a coding school with the best world-class learning experience you can find. DevMountain is a 12-week full-time development course. With only 25 spots available, each cohort feels quickly. As a student, you will be assigned an individual mentor to help answer questions when you get stuck and make sure you are getting the most out of the class. Tuition includes 24-hour access to campus and free housing for our out-of-state applicants. In only 12 weeks, you'll have your own app in the App Store. Learn to code. It's time. Go to devmountain.com slash ifreaks. Listeners of ifreaks will get a special $250 off when they use the coupon code ifreaks at
1: checkout. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 107 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have Alando Burrington.
2: Greetings from Goldboro.
1: Andrew Madsen.
3: Hi, from Salt Lake City.
1: And I'm James Uber from DevChat DV. Wait, no, I'm not from there. I'm from Minneapolis. We don't have a guest today, but we've got Andrew who's going to talk about some Arduino. Well, I hope some we all audio? talk
3: about it. So I actually gave a presentation about Arduino at our local Cocoa Heads recently, so I'm going to kind of follow that to intro. And I think the first thing to know about Arduino is that it's it's a microcontroller, and it's meant to be easy for everyone to use. So the question is, what's a microcontroller? Well, a microcontroller is just a little, basically a computer on a chip um, that you can program. They're typically very stripped down. They're not super powerful. They're they're nothing like the CPU in a computer or even in an iPhone. They're for things that are simpler than that, generally. Um, But they're good for if you want to make little devices that have smarts like robots or, you know, a sprinkler timer or even just... Something like a remote control garage door opener there are all kinds of projects you could come up with and when the the people who made arduino were were working on it their their goal was that they wanted people who were not technical who were not hardware engineers to be able to use microcontrollers to do cool stuff and I think in particular, one of their ideas was they wanted people to be able to make digital or interactive art that were artists, not programmers, and not engineers. And I think they really succeeded at that. So the, the whole point of an Arduino is that you can get up and running, having never programmed a microcontroller before in your life, very simply. You know, in many ways, I think it's significantly easier even than iOS programming. Well, it is definitely easier, and I think it's a, a smaller field. But as as Arduino has grown and gotten more popular, I think one of the biggest advantages now is not just that it's simple, it's that there's this huge community out there. So there is a big ecosystem of accessories and tutorials and pe- and libraries that people have written and just all kinds of cool projects that people have got. And there's really sort of a open source ethic in the Arduino community. The Arduino itself is all open source. The hardware's open. You can download schematics and firmware for it. And the things that other people have created for Arduino tend to be that way too. So it's a really good way to get into hardware where everything's open and you can you know prototype type something with an Arduino and then actually build it for real because nothing's close to you. So I think that's a good overview. So if I want to buy
1: an Arduino, how do I do that?
3: There are actually a whole bunch of different Arduino boards that the Arduino company makes, but because it's open source, lots of other companies have made their own Arduino compatible boards. They they all work with the same Arduino IDE and programming language. But I think a good way to start is with the Arduino Uno. That's kind of like the main normal standard Arduino. And you can buy them on arduino.cc. There's, I'm sure you can get them on Amazon. And I actually have bought them at Radio Shack, although Radio Shacks are hard to find now. But the ones that are still left do actually carry a decent selection of Arduino stuff. And then, um, I think actually two sites for buying stuff that are really good to know about are SparkFun and Adafruit. Both of those are, are sort of similar in that they sell all kinds of hardware hacking stuff for people that are, you know, want to do hardware projects. They also both have designed their own a lot of their own accessories and even Arduino, I guess you'd call them like clones, but they're not really clones because they all have a different twist. There's ones that are really small, ones that are faster than normal that have built-in Wi-Fi or built-in Bluetooth or these these kind of things. So, Arduino.cc, Adafruit and SparkFun are kind of the go-to places for me.
1: Okay. So for some of the example projects that you mentioned like How does Arduino fit into there? It's a microcontroller, but what things is it actually handling and how do you start to set up a garage door opener or whatever things you talked about?
3: One of the great things that I mentioned is there's this huge ecosystem of accessories and typically those are called shields. People have gotten kind of confused when I've used the term shield before. This is kind of an Arduino specific term, but a shield is just a board that plugs on top of your Arduino board and gives it some other capability. And there are, there are hundreds of shields out there. But there are shields for Wi-Fi, for Bluetooth, for Ethernet, shields with various kinds of sensors, like temperature sensors and motion sensors, water sensors. Um, there are motor controller shields. So, a lot of times, if you've got a project in mind and you kind of know what the functionality is, let's think about a garage door opener. Probably a garage door opener needs something to talk to a remote control, like the thing you have on your, you know, in your car. And you can get an RF shield that lets you use a little remote like that and then, your Arduino program can detect when somebody's pushed the button. So that kind of solves that part of it. You might also want it to be Wi Fi connected. So you could get a Wi Fi shield. And then, of course, you need a way to actually trigger the garage door going up and down. That might be a relay shield. So you can just close a switch. And one of the cool things about shields is they're stackable. So you can actually just put a whole stack of shields on top of your Arduino. And without having to do any soldering or anything like that, you can often build up this complete system that's pretty useful. Um, just from pre-made boards that plug together. So that's always a good starting point. And usually shields also come with a library so that using them from your Arduino program is is very, very simple.
2: Okay, so that brings up a good question you mentioned there because it's so stackable. I was thinking sort of like what other equipment would I need to get started? You know, I've got, say I've I've purchased an Arduino and I have a project in mind and maybe I've even gotten as far as getting the other shields is it always guaranteed to be stackable, or is it possible I'll need some additional uh, equipment or hardware to make everything
3: work? Well, yeah. So that that really does depend on the project, and it also depends on the Arduino you've got. There are so many variants now that there are some that you know I've I've gotten an Arduino that's like the size of a postage stamp, and you can't really plug shields onto it because there aren't any shields that are physically that small. You'd have to kind of wire up an adapter. Most of the shields are designed to work with the Arduino Uno, which like I said is kind of the standard one. So you certainly can get into situations where you need to come up with your own design with cables and solder things. And, but the great thing is there are lots of information in the community about how to do that out there. And there are even things people have made to facilitate that, like breakout boards and prototype. There's even a prototype shield where the whole point is you just plug the shield in, but then you could build your own circuit on it. As far as other equipment beyond that, I think Really, all you need is your computer. So the Arduino just plugs into your computer with USB, and you can start programming it. So what I'm, when we
2: start talking about programming, uh, what language or interface am I using to start making the Arduino do what I want it to do?
3: That's a great question. So, so there's a, an IDE that Arduino provides called the Arduino IDE, and it's, it's very simple, much simpler than Xcode. And you program Arduino in a, a language that's called Arduino, but it's actually very much like C. It's kind of a simple stripped-down C. And in fact, I think under the hood, it's actually a version or a subset of C++, but you rarely hit into the object-oriented part of it. And getting up and running, you can actually have an Arduino that boots up and does something like flash a light in three, four, five lines of code. So if you've ever done any regular microcontroller programming, typically, even if you program them in C, which is common nowadays... There's all this boilerplate you have to go through, setting up registers and, you know, setting up a clock divider to get the clock speed right. And just to get the thing to boot up and do anything can be a pretty big pain. With Arduino, it's not like that. You can open up a new project and, you know, hit build and run, and it just runs like on iOS, and it's there's already sort of a template there for you to fill in the first steps of what you want to do.
1: Now, is this template similar for the different types of
3: Arduinos you can have? Yeah, in in my experience it's exactly the same. And so there are, there are actually we we can actually talk about some of the specifics there. There are actually two parts of a of an Arduino program that are required. You know, if you're writing a C program, you know, you create a main function, right? And the main function is the function that just automatically runs when the program starts. In Arduino, you don't actually have a main function. You have a function called setup and another function called loop. And they're just functions that return void and take no arguments and Setup gets called when the Arduino boots up, so that's a good chance to do any kind of setup you want to do, and often you'll sort of set up your peripherals and kind of get things running. And then loop is just called over and over again while the program runs. So that's where you put the meat of your program. A really simple example is like if you just wanted to flash a light on and off just every time through the loop, you would turn the light on if it was off before and, and vice versa. So those two functions set up in the loop are the ones that are required for any Arduino program, and they're they're the basis for even complex programs.
1: So how often is loop called?
3: You know, I don't actually know that off the top of my head, and it may actually depend on the specific hardware you're using, because there is now a pretty wide variety of Arduino hardware, all the way from stuff with like an eight megahertz clock speed up to Arduino-compatible hardware with Intel processors running at, you know, five hundred megahertz or even faster. So it may depend on that. I'm not actually 100% sure. Um, I've never used that for specific timing. But I think it's pretty fast. Like if you if you have an empty loop, uh, I think it gets called many, many times per second. So you'd want to work out your own timing, not rely on loop being consistent.
1: Okay, so loop is called over and over again. You're writing a function that you're expected to be called many times. So it's just polling and doing whatever you want to do. That's the, it's your run loop, but you're not managing... How fast it's called—that's all done by the Arduino operating system.
3: Exactly. You th- you can think of it very much like like the the run loop in a in an iOS program where you where all that the input and stuff is being processed. You're not actually normally responsible for spinning that run loop. Things sort of get called for you.
1: So, what is the OS for Arduino? Is well, it their there, own thing.
3: Yeah, there's not really an an OS because it's uh you're you're essentially programming directly on on the chip. You don't, uh, an OS provides things like disk IO and process scheduling and, you know, all the normal things, virtual memory and that kind of thing, all the things that an OS does. And Arduino or microcontrollers in general are usually so simple that you don't run an an OS. There aren't multiple processes running on the processor at once. So there's no real need to do a lot of that stuff that an operating system does. That said, there is it's not an operating system, but of course, this work that they've done to make Arduino programming so simple means that there's stuff behind the scenes that you don't have to deal with, but it is there making things easy for you. So that, like that boilerplate that I talked about in a normal microcontroller, that's still required. It's just that Arduino has written that beforehand and then you know, hidden the complexity so you don't have to deal with it. And of course, if you do need to go down into those lower levels, one of the great things is they have not They haven't blocked any of that off, so you know if you're an advanced user and you want to do something that's more sophisticated than what sort of the built-in functions give you or whatever, you can drop down all the way to the lowest levels, and you can even actually write assembly Mm -hmm. for for an Arduino. I've done that in one instance. It was very simple assembly, but it was just uh, where I needed to get some really precise, fast timing on a PIN and it's very easy. You can just write some assembly in line without sort of breaking down the whole rest of your program. You still get all the advantages everywhere else, and then you can, in very targeted places,
1: drop down to lower levels when you need to. Okay, so when you say Arduino is a, a microcontroller, that makes sense. How does this fit in with the r- other similar-type systems, like a Raspberry Pi? You know, how are they different from other things like, things like that?
3: Well, so a Raspberry Pi is a computer like you would, you know, like the computer on your desk or your laptop, and it runs an operating system. uh, I think usually a version of Linux, although I'm pretty sure now Microsoft has some version of Windows that'll run on a Raspberry Pi, or at least they announced one. So a Raspberry Pi would be for things where you need a lot more power and sophistication, or I should say speed and sophistication, and you don't mind dealing with the extra complexity that having an OS and all that gives you. Raspberry Pis are also more expensive. You can get cheap, Really cheap Arduino compatible hardware. I in fact I just ordered a few uh, little tiny, really tiny Arduino boards that were they're like six dollars.
2: Oh wow, okay, yeah, because I just I, I just ordered the Raspberry Pi twos that came in last week and they were thirty five dollars a piece.
3: Yeah, so a, and then an Arduino is just simpler. Like look at a Raspberry Pi and look at how many things are on that board, and then look at an Arduino and there are you know one or two main chips and a few components around that for power. So if you're designing your own hardware, you know, say you want to make a device, and this is actually something I'm working on now with the wired in project that I mentioned on our last episode, um, I've prototyped that whole thing with Arduino. But it's pretty easy to take an Arduino design and move that to a real production hardware design, because it's not this hugely complex thing. It's already starting out hardware wise, very simply.
1: Okay, so it's useful for prototyping, things like that, something you might want to build but don't want to have laid out or wire up yourself.
3: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I I spent a number of years as a hardware engineer, and a lot of what I did was designing circuits and and writing firmware for microcontrollers. And when I first heard about Arduino, I kind of thought, "Eh, well, that's for people who don't know what they're doing, you know? It's kind of like the old VI programmer that doesn't want to use an IDE or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Or the old assembly or C programmer that doesn't want to move to a higher level language. And I sort of had that thinking. I thought, well, that's great for people who are starting out, but it probably gets in your way if you really know what you're doing. And I have to say I was completely wrong about that. So it is much like higher level programming languages where it really makes it so even if you know what you're doing and you're an expert, it removes a lot of just tedious work that you have to do normally and kind of mental energy that you have to expend dealing with complexity that's not there with Arduino. But that said, they haven't hidden any of that. So you can dive in, you can take an Arduino design and that's a prototype and make your own design. And because it's all open source, you can even pretty much clone your, your prototype hardware. You've got schematics for everything that they've done make the Arduino. I, I think this is actually gaining a lot of traction even among professional hardware engineers at, at real companies because it's so simple and easy to get up and running. It It is really great for prototyping.
1: It seems like they have a good balance between ease of use and giving yourself the power if you need it.
3: Right. I think that's really important. Think about the best... It's just software APIs that you've worked with. Usually they make things easy to get up and started, but they don't get in your way when you need to do sophisticated stuff. And they've done that both on the hardware and the software for Arduino. So I'm a big convert from kind of being down on the whole idea to being a huge fan.
2: So we we, we sort of outlined what an Arduino is and, and sort of a lot of the advantages of having one and the flexibility. How does this tie into iOS?
3: Well, it wouldn't really be iFreaks without some discussion of iOS. So usually if you want to uh, make hardware that is going to talk to an iOS device, you've really got two choices, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth 4.0. Bluetooth 4.0, of course, is only only on devices that were made in the last few years, but that's most devices now. So I actually think that's the best way to go for most things. And there is now a huge variety of Bluetooth 4.0 compatible Arduino stuff. So you can get shields that add Bluetooth 4.0 to it. Arduino, there's actually a couple Arduinos that already have built-in Bluetooth. I've got one called an RF Arduino. that's actually made by a, a third-party company, but for the purposes of you know using it, it's just like an Arduino. You program with the Arduino I- IDE and everything else, and it has Bluetooth built in. And then you can use the core Bluetooth APIs on your iOS device or on your Mac to talk to it. And there are enough people out there playing with this stuff that it's gotten pretty easy. There's a pretty low barrier to entry to doing that. So the wired in signs that I mentioned, um, we've got an iOS app and SDK that can control those. And it was actually a really pleasant experience to get that up and
1: running. So what does the code look like? Now we're talking about C dialect, which if we're trying to get people that aren't technical or not programmers, seems counterproductive because C is not really the easiest language to learn.
3: You're right. So it is a C dialect, and but what are what are the things that when you think of C that when, when you think C makes things hard for a beginner, what are those things about C?
2: Memory allocation management?
3: Yeah, so that's a big one. That's probably the, the biggest one that I think of. And pointers are another one. Oh, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Because of the way they've designed the standard library and uh, sort of the subset of C they're using, you rarely, if ever, have to deal with pointers or malloc or anything like that. And And, and actually, that's partly because it's actually C++ under the covers, and I don't fully understand what they've done to do that, but I'm reading through some code that I wrote for Arduino here, and it's about a 300-line program, so it's nothing huge, but it's doing some real stuff, and there's not one place where I call malloc. I think the only couple places where I call, where I have asterisks for pointers are where I'm dealing with strings, passing strings around between functions, so they're care stars, but it's like this, it looks like really simple, like the simplest C that you could write. And if you didn't tell someone, hey, this is C, they probably would never, you know, they wouldn't know. You would just think, oh, this is how you program an Arduino. I'll, I'll have to put a link in the show notes to some some example code so that people can see it. There are a whole lot of examples that come with the Arduino IDE, and even the pretty complex ones are quite readable.
1: Okay, so if I want to create a Bluetooth-enabled Arduino device and talk to my phone, you know, transmit. Who knows, temperature or something like that. How do I start begin to set up the Bluetooth inter- interface?
3: Well, on the Arduino side, it's usually as simple as depending on whatever shield you're using, it will have a library. It's usually as simple as calling in in your setup function, giving your device a name and then a UUID, which is required for sort of doing the Bluetooth pairing part, and then just saying hey, start the radio running. And then, um, they'll, they will give you a callback function anytime you receive data over the Bluetooth link so that you can process that data in your Arduino. It'll, it's just a regular function that gets called when some data came in. And then there's also a library function that you can call to send data back. So it's, it's very simple on the Arduino side. On the iOS side, you've got to do a little bit more work. The framework that you use for Bluetooth is called Core Bluetooth. And there's a little bit of effort there, but it's a, it's an Objective-C API. You know, it's not, foreign to somebody who's a Cocoa programmer so you start you start by scanning for devices and you use a a class called cb central manager i believe it is i'm talking off the top of my head but you get the cb central manager you call scan for devices and then you get a delegate call back when it finds a device and then you can kind of get some information about the device and if it's the right device if it's the one you want to connect to then you can call a method that lets you connect and once you've connected, you can just send data to the device and then you get another delegate callback when data comes in. So getting this communication set up is pretty simple. Um, Bluetooth 4.0 has some complexity to it for supporting various different kinds of data going back and forth. But usually when you're when you're working on, on an Arduino project, you don't really care about that. You just want to be able to send and receive short small amounts of your own data. So That's how they've, on the Arduino side, that's how they've set it up. It really acts very much like a serial port or, you know, it it, it just feels like you're sending strings back and forth or whatever. It's nothing super complicated or heavy.
1: Okay. Like when I was doing similar embedded work like this, we did this over a network and we would have, say, a Windows client with a C struct talking to a Linux client with a C struct and keeping those things mapped up with complex data was tricky. How does Arduino handle that? So if you have your Objective c object or your C struct and you're passing it down through Bluetooth, how do you decode what you're receiving? See, Arduino won't won't give you any direct help with that, but that's also not
3: usually how I structure things. So I normally would just create a pretty simple command set. And instead of trying to serialize structs or objects and send those across, I'm just sending small bits of data. So for example, with a garage door opener, like we were talking about before, and if you want to be able to control it from your phone, maybe you would just send a command that said open, and it was just the string open, or a command that was cl- the string close, and those were your two commands, and you know, it's, it's as simple as that. If you're doing anything more sophisticated than that, you, ha- you really have to come up with your own protocol. And figure out how to parse that. And so that can get a little bit difficult, but there are actually libraries out there that make some of that easier. I'll try to put a link in the show notes, but there's one that I use and like that I didn't write called packetizer. And it just makes it easy to, instead of having to do your own low level parsing of incoming data and figuring out when you got a command, it handles that for you. You give it some simple information about the commands you want to receive. And then it deals with all of that buffering and looking for a valid command and and calling you. So it, it can make that sort of stuff much simpler
1: okay cool on the base level it's it's mainly a string you're passing back and forth or can it be? yeah
3: well or data think like ns think of it like ns data it's just data right just bytes there's also a library which i have not personally used but i've seen called fermata and this is a arduino library that implements this protocol called fermata and it's sort of a gives you slightly more Handholding than what I've just said, or it, it kind of builds up a base for doing this kind of computer-to-device communication. So it has a little bit of a message stru- structure around it, so you can, for example, send an analog value, and then it deals with packaging that up and sending it to the computer, and and vice versa. And there's a um, there's actually an Objective C version of Fermata that somebody wrote, so that you can put this in your Mac or iOS app and it will sort of handle some of this low-level stuff we've just been talking about and make it easier. Ah,
1: very cool. So what projects have you been working on? Well, I've got the
3: the wired-in signs that I've been working on. I've got a a board called an Arduino Esplora, which is, I actually picked it on an earlier show, but it's an Arduino that looks kind of like a game controller. But the cool thing about it is it just has a bunch of built-in sensors on the board. You don't even need a shield. It's got an RGB LED, a bunch of buttons, a joystick, a slider, a temperature sensor, a microphone, a light sensor. So that's kind of a fun board to get just to play with because you don't need anything else and you can start doing some cool stuff. Um, and I've got one of those that I've programmed so that, uh oh, it's got an accelerometer on it so that its position in space is used to control the position of a an object in SceneKit. It's actually in a Mac app. That's been kind of fun, but wired in is is certainly the thing I'm focused on right now. Uh, I do have an idea for for making. I want to make a an audio switch box for my for my stereo setup, so that I can s- switch the thing that's hooked up to my speakers through my iPhone, and then ideally, actually uh, use IR so that I can control like CD player and that sort of thing from my iPhone. I think that would be cool.
1: The wired in, like you explained this a little bit last week, is it is the Kickstarter still going?
3: Yeah, the Kickstarter's still going. Uh, so we are wired.in, um, since we recorded last week, we actually have hit our funding goal. So we're excited about that, but we're hoping to, to hit some stretch goals. So I'm actually really excited about that. This is the first time I've had a Kickstarter project and it's pretty exciting to have it fund and we're actually going to get to make these things and, and get them out to people.
2: Yeah. I'm actually pretty excited about getting, I ordered, I think I backed to the level where I get two. one is programmable, the customizable one and the the default one.
3: Cool. Yeah. Everybody I tell comes up with an idea for their, you know, for what they want their sign to say. And we, we're having a lot of fun hearing from people. We actually had an article on Recode today and quoted Ina Frieda as saying she wanted one that said something like, don't bother me unless you have Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to try to make one of those for her.
1: So for those devices, that is, you know, a device that you put on your desk and it turns on or it turns off based on what's happening. How is that wired up?
3: Well, I I should tell you that our hope is if we hit a stretch goal, you'll actually be able to change the color of the RGB. We'll, we'll make the LEDs RGB LEDs, so you'll be able to change the color of the sign too. But assuming we don't hit that stretch goal, you're right that it's just on-off. Uh, well, you'll actually also be able to set the brightness, hopefully. It actually looks very similar to what I described with the garage door opener. So I've prototyped this whole thing using Arduino. I'm starting now on the on the non-Arduino final design, but for the Arduino prototype, I just have a really simple protocol where you can send a message that is RGB and then, you know, like a number from 0 to 255 for each of red, green, and blue, and that tells the sign which color to light up the lights. We don't actually really need any communication from the sign back to the computer, so the only thing I send is sort of a little packet that just says, I received that message successfully. That way the computer can tell if it's successfully, talk, or the, the iOS device can tell if it's successfully talking to the sign or if it's lost its connection or whatever. And it's a very, very simple command set. Okay, so this was controlled through your iPhone? Yeah, we actually have a, an SDK. It's not public yet, but we're, we're planning to release it for iOS. And it actually works on the Mac too. And that's pretty cool because core Bluetooth is exactly the same on OS 10 and iOS. So the code is literally identical. We just compile it for OS 10 for the OS 10 SDK and for iOS for iOS. And yeah. Core Bluetooth is not, it's a little bit verbose, you have to do, you know, a decent amount of boilerplate, but it's nothing crazy and it's not scary, it's really normal Objective-C code. Uh, we're we're planning to open source that when project ships, I don't want to open source it right now because it's uh, kind of half finished and protocol is not completely final and all that. So I had a question about, uh, and it's
2: probably taken a, a bit of a step back outside of the iOS specific implementation. And that is, so I say I get my hands on a, a one or two of these Arduinos. Am I able to sort of build something and then take it back apart really easily to reuse it? Say I just want to learn because I'm really looking for like suggestion for a great starter project for someone who's new to microcontrollers. I'm looking for a project to do with youth. You know, to kind of get them engaged, and it'd be great to hear, like, this is a great project you do. You can set it up and get back down, and kids can really see, like, how to program it, make it work, and then get it ready for the next class that comes in.
3: Yeah, I I definitely think Arduino is great for that. And because of what I described with the shields, those shields are just plug-in, you know, they just plug-in and stack. There's no soldering. You can certainly just really easily unplug them. Um, One thing I think would be kind of cool, just off the top of my head, is you can buy these little boards that are like a matrix of LEDs, and so they're sort of like a, a really low-resolution screen, and they've got ones that are available as an Arduino shield or meant to hook up to, to Arduino, and then you can really easily program them to just you know, do cool light patterns or to have a simple video game or whatever, but they're simple enough that you can understand how the whole thing works. So I think that would be kind of a cool project for kids there are also things for doing music and you know there's midi shields and little synthesizer shields and audio there's you know shields so that you can make your arduino play mp3s and some of that stuff could be kind of cool and capture kids imagination awesome. and and i think that the idea of putting it all together and then programming it you know with a group of kids and then taking it apart for the next one is completely doable i don't think there's anything hard about that at all Speaking of shields, there's a shield that I've been kind of had my eye on that I want to try out. That is a cellular shield, so it allows your Arduino to hook up to a cellular, uh, I think like like 3G data connection. And that sounds pretty fun. And imagine how hard that would be if you didn't didn't have this shield. If you had to design your own cellular radio, I'm a hardware engineer and I would kind of have no idea where to start.
1: Pretty complex. How would that connect? Would you need your cellular device registered with the with the company? Yeah, I think or you or have what?
3: to. I think it takes a SIM card, so you have to get a like a data only SIM card and put it in there. You could probably take the SIM card out of your phone and put it in, but if you you know want to use it normally, I think you have to go buy a data only SIM card from a carrier. Mm, okay. I don't know. I don't have one, but I've been toying with the idea of buying one. I don't really have a real project in mind for it. It just sounds cool.
2: Yeah, this sounds like this might have been a better way for me to go as far as looking up like a soil sensor or something to tell me when to water my garden or something like that with a few of the necessary shields. I, w- I would like to receive that data though coming to my phone maybe or something like to get an alert that it's time to water if it has been too long.
3: Yeah, I think Arduino would be ideal for that kind of thing. There's actually another device that's not not Arduino, but it's also really cool that I've played around with called an electric imp. And the cool thing about electric imp is it's, it's the, it's the size of an SD card. It's, it actually looks exactly like an SD card, but it's programmable and it's connected to the internet and through wifi. And they've also got a a web service backend so that if you want to, you can have the, the electric imp that's hooked up however you want it with sensors and, and whatever it looks, it'll look just like a rest API on the other side. So you can write an app that will control your device using electric imp, just using the kind of same kind of rest api that you're used to with you know that every ios programmer has used so that's something to look at too are there the my main problem with electric imp is they're if you want to put them in a real device they're not super cheap but they are really easy to get up and running with and the ide for programming those is actually a it's like a web web app they even get programmed over the internet oh cool and I hadn't sure. really thought about it before, but I'm sure you could use the electric imp with an Arduino. And I'm, I'm kind of looking right now and it looks like, uh, there are, I don't know if you can actually buy a shield, but, but there are, oh yeah, there's a SparkFun has an electric imp shield for the Arduino. So it would be a, a cool, easy way to give your Arduino this Wi-Fi connection
1: and a REST API to talk to it. Pretty cool. Awesome. I may have to buy one of those. So what are some patterns that you've recognized dealing with Arduino and just writing code that you, weren't aware of before that you found very useful. One of the big patterns is
3: that, particularly for doing communication, you know, if you haven't done this kind of low-level communication before, there are some tricks to it. And I think the biggest mistake people make is they design a protocol that's not very easy to verify when you get packets coming in. So, designing your communications protocol is important. You should be able to tell when a packet starts and when it ends, and if the whole thing is valid. Because if you lose data in the middle or something, you want to be able to detect that. Um So that's, that's one big thing. Beyond that, though, I, I mean, I don't know, it, it almost feels like the programs that I've written are so simple, it's hard to come up with a design pattern for them. I like to try to keep my Arduino code really cleanly structured and broken up into small functions, just like I would do with a, with an iOS app, because it makes it easier to read. And there's certainly no reason you can't do that. So you know, if a function is longer than maybe 15 or 20 lines at the most, I tend to think I could probably split this up and break it down. A lot of the same kinds of software engineering principles that go into writing an iOS app are equally valid with firmware. One different thing, of course, is if you're running a program on a 8 megahertz processor, you're not going to be doing anything super CPU-intensive. You're not going to be doing real-time image processing or something like that. That would be more where the Raspberry Pi would be the right thing to use. Or just an
1: iOS device, right? Definitely. You could do something where you pass the information. Well, I guess that'd be pretty hard to do over the network. Even if you're passing a lot of information, that probably wouldn't work very well. But interesting to think about.
3: Yeah, and they're, and I mentioned earlier, I don't have direct experience with them, but in the last little while, they're, they've come out with some Arduinos that are actually really quite powerful. So the most Arduinos are sort of these really slow by iOS or Mac standards, slow processors. But they've got some now that are actually more like Raspberry
1: Pi class things so you can do some real processing on those well very cool sounds like a cool product and a cool ecosystem i know i've heard a lot about it but it's good to hear a little bit more get some more specific information yeah i haven't done that much with it
3: i'm having a lot of fun one thing i I was going to mention too is that all the arduinos i've worked with i think almost all of them have a um, the way they're programmed is over a it's over a serial port i mean that's kind of transparent to you because they just plug in with usb but that's actually a really easy way to debug so we didn't talk about debugging right now for at least for most arduino devices there is no debugger when you're working on an arduino you don't get to single set breakpoints and single step through your code i th- i think i need to look into this a little more but i think that's something that's going to be added or may even already exist for some of the newest devices but as it stands right now most devices if not all cannot do that so you end up sort of having to do printf caveman debugging. Um And the way you'll typically do that is you'll want to have your Arduino hooked up to your Mac. And then uh, there's a really simple library function that you can call to send data out on, on the Arduino's serial ports, just serial dot print. And then the Arduino IDE actually has a serial terminal built in. So you can sort of use that like a console, but debugging is not as easy as you're used to. If you're coming from iOS or something, it's It's definitely sort of the printf style of debugging, and you have to have the thing hooked up to your Mac while you're doing it. But that also makes for a really easy way to communicate with your Mac. If you design a simple protocol, you know, before you even have your iOS device hooked up or whatever, it gives you a really easy way to communicate to your Arduino by just typing commands into that window.
1: Very cool. Do we have anything else we want to cover before we get to the picks?
2: No, I think it's pretty well covered, actually.
1: Yeah, I want to open up the iFreak rumor mill. We might be having a new panelist come on. He's kind of a big deal. I can't announce the names, but I'm <laughs> pretty excited to have them on board. I do. Whoever
3: whoever it is, I'm excited too. That's it's the only one I'm really excited.
1: <laughs> we'll scare him. Hopefully, we don't scare him off. Yeah, oh, now we're Possibly gonna... next week, we might have some new guests to announce. I hope so. But cool, let's get to the picks. Alondo, what do you have for us?
2: Okay, I actually only have one pick this week, and it is a book I just picked up, and it's called The Seven Day Startup: uh, You Don't Learn Until You Launch by Dan Norris. Been going through this whole startup venture on the side for a while now, and it's uh, kind of nice to have some some text that kind of you know refer to, kind of keep me motivated and give me some ideas. I guess I could, I am using Amazon Prime uh, to do this too, so I guess I could say that Amazon Prime is a pick. I just started using their lending because I'm actually borrowing the book versus a purchase, so um, I'm still in the 30-day trial, so I don't know if I can say if it's worth whatever price that they're charging, but for now, it seems to be okay, but it's free. <laughs> so that's that's my pick for this week.
3: Very cool. Andrew, I've got a couple picks today. Uh, the first one is, I can't actually say I 100% understand what this is, but it's a an article or possibly it was a talk from uicomp which i think just finished in uh i think it's in germany i could be wrong about that uh but it's it's written as if it were the keynote from uicomp 1995 and it's called object-oriented programming and objective c and it's this article about how people write their objective c with so much c baggage that they're actually not getting the benefits of true object-oriented programming and he actually goes through an implementation of the game of life in Objective-C, but it's, it's sort of written using this style that will look a little bit foreign to an Objective-C programmer, where it's, it's really purely object-oriented and kind of does away with all of the procedural baggage from C. But that's actually not the point of the article. The point of the article is that we are now with Swift, where people were in in 95 or whatever with Objective-C, where it's this new language, but we're all coming from a background where we're so used to one paradigm that it's really kind of hard for us to learn a new paradigm without carrying along a lot of baggage. So that's his point, is that we need to not make that same mistake with Swift. Um, So that's my first pick. So I can write
1: Objective-C in any language? Yeah? Uh, How? (laughs) I just do it. I'll figure out. I'll figure out. I'll send messages, you know, I don't know, even in like Haskell or something. I'll find a way. And uh, yeah, well, it's it,
3: it was a good and kind of fun article because it's written as if OpenStep were the new thing, this next operating system. Um, my second pick is actually something that I'm unreasonably excited about. It's a stereo microscope made by AmScope that I just ordered today, so I don't have it yet, but I am very excited to have it because I have missed having a scope like this since I quit my last job where I got to work with one all the time. Um And it's for building hardware with really electronics hardware with really small parts. So it's one of those tools where I know it's going to enable me to do a bunch of new stuff. And I was pleasantly surprised to find that it's only $184 when previously the cheapest one I had seen was like $350. And I thought that was cheap because the ones we had at work were a couple thousand dollars. So it's a nice cheap stereo microscope for doing
1: really small detailed work those are my picks very cool i think it's a little early for the dub dub picks so well will hold on hold off on those till next week but i'll be there Alando's there I'm gonna, I'm gonna have one pick so i bought a telecaster type guitar i play the gnls which was started by the same person who did fender but they make great guitars in the fender style so i've been playing a telecaster for seven eight years and the single coil telecasters, they've got kind of a, a thin tone. That's what everyone likes. But I want a little deeper tone, and I was looking for some pickups I could do it. And I found one that I'm really excited about. I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be ordering it pretty soon, the Charlie Christian neck pickup. Charlie Christian was one of the early jazz guitarists. But they're by Lawler Pickups, and they've got some really cool sounds to it. It's kind of a deeper, lower sound. I do a lot of jazz playing, stuff like that, so the deeper sound works. So if you're looking for some different sounds out of your telecaster... This is a really cool thing, and I'm looking forward to having this wired into my guitar. You so. should do it. You should do a special iFreaks performance once you get it. There yes. we go. Before and after. Mm-hmm. I'll be playing the blues. I'm all, I'm only half joking. I would love to hear that. Okay. There, there we go. You can fire it up. Get the amp in here. Go yeah. crazy. New theme song. But that's it for our show. Thanks, everyone, for showing up. We learned a lot about our Arduino. So, yeah, great. Andrew was our panelist slash guest today. So thanks yes. a lot.
2: Awesome, Andrew. I'm actually on my way to that Radio Shack once we... Yeah, uh, got... you, really,
3: you really should. I buy my Arduino stuff there just because it's around the corner, even though I don't know how much longer that will be true, but still is right now.
1: Lando's actually in the car on <laughs> yeah. his phone. At this point. <laughs> Give me that Arduino.
2: It's, it's basically 2005 here, so I think it's going to be open for a while. Okay. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, perfect.
1: The time machine.
0: bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more would you like to join a conversation with the ifreaks and their guests want to support the show we have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time you can sign up at ifreakshow.com slash forum